Blog Talk Radio. House Mysteries on the BookSpeak Network. I'm Sherry Knowlton. I write the Alexa Williams Suspense series of books, Dead of Autumn, Dead of Summer, Dead of Spring, and Dead of Winter. Hi, I'm J.M. West. I write the Carlisle Crime Cases series, Dying for Vengeance, Courting Doubt and Darkness, Darkness at First Light, How to Die in Fall, all featuring homicide detectives Christopher Snow and Aaron McCoy. And all available bundled together on Kindle for a great price. And my newest Carlisle crime case, Things Strangled, was released in September. You may have noticed that we took a long break over the holidays, uh, but now we're well-rested and uh, ready to welcome 2020 at the Milford House Mysteries podcast. Ironically, though, we're going to devote our first podcast of the year to looking back uh, at 2019. Jody and I thought we'd spend today reflecting on some of the books we enjoyed most last year. Now, note that these books may not have been published in 2019. These are simply books that we read during the past year. Uh, They include brand-new books by well-known and not-so-well-known authors, some oldies, but goodies that we reread during the year, and some books that have been out for a while, but we just finally got around to reading them. Yeah, and we believe we have time for five books each during today's half hour, so we'll discuss why we chose each as a favorite, commenting on either the author's style, the plot, or the characters or themes. These are not in any particular order of preference. As you might know, it's difficult to answer the question, what's your favorite book, knowing that the caveat that reading itself is a subjective endeavor. But nevertheless, we'll each be sharing the five that we particularly enjoyed. And well, let's leap right in. My first choice is The Silent Patient by Alex Michaelides, who was born on Cyprus and he studied English literature. In this novel, the patient is Alessa Berenson, who is married to Gabriel. Then one evening, the Theo character comes into the house. He ties Gabriel up and accuses him of having an affair with his Theo's wife. He gives the adulterer a choice. Either he or his wife dies. Then the narration switches to a psychologist who is applying for the job at the Grove where Alicia is being held. Um, though I'm not easily shocked or surprised, Michael Lydies does both with a skillful touch of an expert puppeteer, carefully manipulating and giving the readers some detail, but withholding key other information until the very end. Um, I'm really afraid to say much more about it without giving away the, the plot or the plot twist or providing a spoiler, so I'll just say that the psychological insights parallels Louise Penny's Three Pines series. Um, the book deserves the accolades and rave reviews it has been receiving. If you're a mystery fan like me, you'll remember this book long after you've finished it. 
Well, what's your first choice, Sherry? Well, like you said, it's hard picking just five. Um, but I'm going to start with Nothing More Dangerous by Alan Eskins. I'd read a previous novel by Eskins called The Life We Bury. It was one I kept seeing on the shelves and was drawn in by the cover and the title. Um, so I finally read it and, and really enjoyed uh, that book. Uh, but then I was at the BoucherCon World Mystery Conference in Dallas this past November, uh, and Alan Eskins was there signing copies of his latest, Nothing More Dangerous. Um, I read it on the plane ride home and uh, ended up simply loving the book. Um, I'll read you the brief synopsis. After 15 years of growing up in the Ozark Hills with his widowed mother, high school freshman Bodie Sandin is beyond ready to move on. He dreams of glass towers and cityscapes driven by his desire to be anywhere other than Jessup, Missouri. The new kid at St. Ignatius High School, if he isn't being pushed around, he's being completely ignored. Even his beloved woods, his playground as a child, and his sanctuary as he grew older seemed to be closing in on him, suffocating him. Then Thomas Elgin moves in across the road, and Bodie's life begins to twist and turn. Coming to know the Elgins, a black family settling into a community where notions of us and them carry the weight of history, forces Bodie to rethink his understanding of the world he's taken for granted. Secrets hidden in plain sight begin to unfold. The mother who wraps herself in the loss of her husband, the neighbor who carries the wounds of a mysterious past that he holds close, the quiet boss who is fighting his own hidden battle. But the biggest secret of all is the disappearance of Linda Poe, the African-American woman who keeps the books at the local plastics factory. As the mystery of her fate plays out, Bodhi begins to see the stark lines of race and class that both bind and divide the small town, and he'll be forced to choose sides. So, you know, it sounds interesting, right? Uh, I really love the way right. Eskins managed to blend aspects of just several genres in this book, and I thought he did it in a masterful and compelling way. Um, you know, in some respects, nothing more dangerous is a coming-of-age novel, um, it can clearly be classified as a Southern novel. At its core, the plot is basically a suspenseful mystery. Um, and I even think it ventures into Kill a Mockingbird territory with its commentary on social and racial issues. Eskins told me that he has several more books out there. I don't know how I missed that, but I plan to search them out to read uh, this coming year. So for now, do yourself a favor and look for Nothing More Dangerous by Alan Eskins. Well, that reminds me, speaking of coming-of-age novels, I have to give a nod to When the Crawdads Sing. It's a de debut novel by Della Owens, and a runaway hit that readers, e readers either admire or dislike. The setting for the book is in North Carolina Marsh in 1952. The mother decides one day to just walk away and leaves her abusive husband. And then one by one, the older siblings abandon the shack. Finally, Pap leaves as well, leaving young Kaya to fend for herself. 
Then the author toggles back and forth between 1952 and 1969 when Kaya is a grown woman. I must admit that at first I had a hard time accepting the premise of the abandoned child concept. And Owens delves in with encyclopedic detail of marshland specimen, flora, and fauna. Um, but, but she has her reasons, and foreshadowing being the primary one, in my view. It is a coming-of-age novel. It's an intriguing murder mystery. And I think it's also an academic study of a classic outsider. So I would highly recommend the book, too. It was one of our um, book club's choices um, for, this year, for last year. When, that's when the yeah, crawdads you know, I've sing. heard a lot about when the crawdads sing, but but haven't mm-hmm. actually read it yet. Um, it's also on my list. Uh, it's funny when when it first came out. Um, I'd mentioned that we were um, in uh, Africa, I think, a little bit earlier, and um, or maybe I didn't. But anyway, um, you did. You did. You did. Okay. Um, when uh, it first came out, uh, you know, sh- 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 this uh, woman, Della Owens, was really hitting the news. But turns out she was really well known um, where I was in Botswana because she and her husband um, several years back uh, had been somewhat famous slash notorious in nearby Zambia um, where uh-huh. they'd been uh, conservationists and then were involved in a, I don't know, somewhat of a scandal about uh, relating to anti-poaching. So it's funny that, um, you know, in her background, uh, clearly the wild is a uh, a real theme uh, that she used Mm -hmm. all that experience in in the African wild, perhaps, to, 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 use in this new novel, When the Crawl Dads Sing. Um, but let's That's go to my number two. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I know I've talked a lot in this podcast uh, about John D. McDonald, uh, his Travis McGee series. He wrote in the 50s, 1950s, and 1960s, and he was one of the first mystery writers whose work I learned to love. So that's why I talk about him all the time. Um, this past year, uh, I should I decided, well, it's time to revisit some of his novels. And I reread The Lonely Silver Rain. All of his books, well, his McGee books, Travis McGee books, um, the titles include a color. This book was the last in his series um, because he died not long after it was published. Uh, in The Lonely Silver Rain, uh, Billy Ingram, a self-made tycoon, asked Travis McGee to locate his uh, $700,000 custom cruiser. McGee isn't so sure. He knows all too well the dangerous link between Florida boat jackings and the drug trade, and he's vowed never to swim with the sharks. But he wants to keep <laughs> his head above water and swim he will, so... Uh, Billy's wife, Millis, convinces Travis to step up and uh, work on the challenge. Uh, So after a pilot friend leads him to the stolen vessel, uh, McGee really uh, immediately regrets not going with his gut and staying away from the whole thing. The yacht is no longer an ordinary 
but it's a slaughterhouse. Mm. Um, so soon McGee realizes, excuse me, he's knee-deep in the white-hot center of an international cocaine ring. Um, and, of course, it just goes downhill there from there for Travis McGee. The book is classic John D. MacDonald, um, and rereading it, uh, was like taking a pleasant trip down memory lane with a dose of Florida noir on the side. Uh, I, I, you know, it's fun to read beloved books after many years. You know, Travis McGee. One of the reasons I love him, he's a, perhaps more a shining knight in armor, a knight in shining armor than a typical detective. Um, he's a boat bum, and he has the skills to solve crimes and help damsels in distress along with his nerdy economist sidekick, Meyer. Um, my uh, interest was piqued so much that I plan to revisit another Travis McGee novel soon, um, probably The Empty Copper Sea, just because I always love that title. That is an intriguing title. Um, yeah, I like now, it. it. Yeah. Now, if you like World War II sagas, my next choice is A Woman of No Importance by Sonia Purcell. It's not a mystery, but a nonfiction account of American Virginia Hall's life as a British spy in France during World War II during the Nazi occupation. It, too, was a book club selection. Well, skipping over her failure, she tried without success to join the male-dominated diplomatic corps in the 40s, so she decides to you know, build up a resume um, so that she can join the Corps eventually. So she first drives an ambulance and while building her experience abroad. Um, it reads, it's nonfiction, and it, it, I had never heard of Virginia Hall, but it reads like it's just a nail-biting narrative. It depicts Hall's, her lead role of espionage, sabotage, and subversion. Um, yes, like Ernest Hemingway, <laughs> uh, it reminds me, it could remind people of that well, that's how he started out driving an ambulance. And that, and that was really um, exciting to read about, too, because, you know, while that's going on, there's a war going on in France, then, and the Nazis are the biggest uh, <laughs> the problem there. But my biggest surprise was, one, that I'd never heard of this intrepid woman before, and two, I really admire her joie de vivre and like her, her lust her, her lust for life. And she just couldn't understand why people were so blasé about getting, Americans specifically, about getting into the war in World War you know, II. She just felt it was our duty, her duty specifically, to help. Um, and, she, and, and three, I was also amazed that, that she not only survived but persevered. I mean, she even managed to, you know, she had a shooting accident early on and lost her foot, and she still managed cool. to climb over the Alps. Yeah, still managed to, you know, climb the Alps. Uh, so anyway, I just, I was really um, a departure for me because I don't often read nonfiction, and, uh, but it did. It read like a spy novel. So I would recommend A Woman of No Importance by Sonia wow. Purcell. Sounds like a woman with skills. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay, well, Definitely. <laughs> for, um, my third book, I'm going to jump to a totally different type of mystery. Um, it's called In a Dark, Dark Wood by Ruth Ware, W-A-R-E. 
Um, this was the first uh, Ruth Weir that, novel that I'd read. Uh, since then, um, I went on to read her um, later book, Woman in Ca- The Woman in Cabin 10, which got a lot of buzz. And, and I enjoyed Cabin 10, but In a Dark, Dark Wood really gripped my imagination. Um, it has the feel of a, a classic Agatha Christie novel with everyone trapped in a house as people start dying one by one. Um, yet Ware manages to take that old standby and give it a totally modern edge, completely with a flawed protagonist. Um, I also found the remote house in the woods idea uh, in the snow, and they're all trapped as very atmospheric. Uh, here's the synopsis. Um, What should be a cozy, fun-filled weekend deep in the English countryside takes a sinister turn uh, in Ruth Ware's suspenseful and compulsively darkly twisted psychological thriller. Sometimes the only thing to fear is yourself. When reclusive writer Lenora is invited to the English countryside for a weekend away, she reluctantly agrees to make the trip. But as the first night falls, revelations unfold among friends old and new, and an unnerving memory shatters Lenora's reserve, and a haunting realization creeps in. The party is not alone in the woods. (laughs) This book won tons of awards, awards, so check it out. It's called In a Dark, Dark Wood by Ruth Ware. You know, that does remind me of Agatha Christie's And Then There Were None, and also titled mm-hmm. Ten Little Indians, where people kept disappearing one by one. That's my very favorite one of Agatha Christie's. Yeah, uh, I like that one, yeah. too. Yeah. Well, my number four choice is Judge O'Moy's The Giver of Stars. This is recently released. She's the author of the Me Before You series. <clears throat> it's controversial because another author named Kim Richardson wrote a similar book, the book Woman of Troublesome Creek, that covers the same territory. Uh, they're both set in 1937, and it, but, uh, but both you know talk about the story of five women. And here I'm quoting um, the uh, that part of the summary um, that's on Amazon about four five heroic women who refuse to be cowed by men or convention. And though they face all kinds of dangers in a landscape that is at times breathtakingly beautiful, at other times brutal, and they're committed to the job, bringing books to people who have never had any, arming them with facts that will change their lives. And that, but which that's very important, the story of the adventure um, of these uh, these women. But I, I was more, what they did was uh, start the Pack Horse Librarians of Eastern Kentucky, um, and in one case, a mule. Um, but it's the lives of the women that I found most fascinating because they seem to be uh, striving against insurmountable obstacles in their town, in their, you know, in the relationships, and you know, to achieve their goal. And what is particularly striking is that the first one, I believe her name is Alice, um, she married, she's an English woman, and she married an American thinking, oh, well, this is going to be, you know, a fine adventure. And it turns out to be just the opposite. 
Um, but it, it's a fascinating story, and it, it's historical fiction, so it's actually based on um, the, a real event of, of women who did bring, who took books. It's like a bookmobile, only on horses. You know, the people in the rural areas of eastern Kentucky. Um, and I went to college there, uh, so it, I was particularly interested in that. And uh, I have friends, too, one who went to Berea. And Berea is mentioned, you know, in the book. So I, I thought it was yeah. very interesting. Yeah, and it was also um, divergent because her other um, books, Moy's other books, The Young Me Before You, is about, a, you know, uh, uh a man who had a, a motorcycle accident and he didn't want to live in, in the in the girlfriend. So this is a, this is a you know a different uh, approach for her, and I I really liked it. Hmm. Well, another book I enjoyed was Paula McLean's biographical fiction novel, um, Circling the Sun. And it's about the aviatrix Beryl Markham. Uh, when I travel, I like to read fiction based on the general area that I'm visiting. Uh, although um, when I was reading and I was in southern Africa, not Kenya, Circling the Sun certainly fit the bill. Um, I've always been fascinated by colonial Kenya and the out-of-Africa mystique. Uh, and McLean's novel tells the story of uh, a young woman, Beryl Markham, uh, who lived there in Kenya. She was ahead of her time. She was a pioneer in women's aviation, and she was also involved in a love triangle with uh, Karen Blixen and Dennis Finch Hatton of Out of Africa fame. Uh, here's the brief uh, synopsis of this. Um, this novel transports readers to the breathtaking world of uh, Out of Africa, 1920s Kenya, and uh, reveals the extraordinary adventures of Beryl Markham, a woman before her time. She was brought to Kenya from England by pioneering, pioneering parents, dreaming of a new life on an African farm. Uh, Beryl's raised unconventionally, developing a fierce will and a love of all things wild. But after everything she knows and trusts dissolves, uh, she's flung into a string of disastrous relationships. Then she becomes caught up in the aforementioned passionate love triangle with the irresistible safari hunter, Dennis Finch Hatton. This guy must have been quite something. Uh, and the writer, Baroness Karen Blixen. Brave and audacious and contradictory, Beryl will risk everything to have Dennis love, but it's ultimately her own, own heart she must conquer to embrace her true calling and her destiny to fly. Uh, like an earlier uh, Paula McLean novel I'd read uh, called The Paris Wife about Ernest Hemingway's first wife, Hadley, Circling the Sun does a really wonderful job of bringing the story of a fascinating woman from the past to life. It, it's really uh, worth a read. Mm, is that the one? I saw the movie. Is that <laughs> <they> similar? <laughs> Out of Africa, the movie, is, that's the movie you saw, right? Right. Yeah, so it's it's told, of course, from Karen Blixen's 
point of view. Uh, and Beryl Markham is sort of like a walk-on character in the movie. Um, I'm exaggerating, but she's, you know, she's a minor character, where this sort of tells everything from her point of view. And uh, it, I found it fascinating. Yeah. Oh, so many books and so little time. I'm sure you've heard that before. That's the way I feel. I've read many, many, many mysteries and a few nonfiction novels this year, including Rachel Kane's Wolf Hunter River, which is a third in the Stillhouse Lake series. Uh, Lisa Unger's The Red Hunter, very scary. <laughs> and Jacqueline Winsphere's The American Agent, uh, which is a Maisie Dobbs mystery. And I like Sherry's Dead of Winter. I just finished reading and reviewing it, and especially because your plot and subplot makes similar observations about human cruelty and intolerance. And I found that fascinating. But my number five choice is This Is, is As It Always Is by Laurie Frankel, because it's a stunner. It stars Penn, stars, <laughs> depicts Penn, who is a writer, and he falls in love with an ER doctor named Rose. And they marry, and she, he waits for her in the in the ER room while she's you know working, and um, and writes. And they marry eventually and have three kids. Uh, the problems start when the youngest son, at age three, decides he wants to be a girl. It's a very caring and sensitive book. And with the three children, so there's a son and a, another son and a daughter, um, it's, it's complicated and it's messy and it's, uh, they move from, uh, they pick up and move when the kids start making fun of that youngest boy, girl, and, and move to California. But I found it fascinating more so because of what it reveals about society. I think it's a commentary on our judgmental society and, and people's proclivity to gossip and isolate and shun those who are different, who do not conform to the notion of the norm. And we could probably talk all day about the notion of the norm um, mm-hmm. because I don't see too many normal people. But I highly recommend this book because it's so realistically rendered. And I just felt so, I just felt so deeply and sorry for the family and the situation they were in. It's really a good book. That's This is As It Always Is by Laurie Frankel. Okay. Well, like you, Jody, I found it hard to pare the list down to just five. Um, I read books by uh, many of my favorite authors this past year, including Preston and Child, Sarah Paretsky, Daniel Da Silva, Lee Child, William Kent Kruger, Kruger, Gail Lenz, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. new authors like Michael Neiman, Rachel Kane, Maddie Dalrymple. Um, I read your latest, Things Strangled, of course. Great book. Mm-hmm. Um, I could go on and on um, because when I'm not writing, I'm probably reading. Um, but for my last book, I thought I'd highlight Greg Isles' Mississippi Blood. Isles is one of my all-time favorite authors. Um, and for some reason, uh, sort of inexplicably, I didn't get to this 2017 book until early last year. Um, it's the third book in Isles' epic trilogy, which is set in modern-day Natchez, Mississippi. Um, and it's a tale of 
love and honor, hatred and revenge uh, that explores how the sins of the past continue to haunt the present. And it's interesting that the the protagonist, one of the protagonists of your book that you just talked about, first name was Penn, which is an unusual mm-hmm. name. Um, and this, the hero of this book, as um, the many of the Greg Isle books, is uh, a, the same character, Penn Cage. Uh, and this story talks, uh, he's at a low point in his life. Um, he's lost the woman in his life. He's been compromised professionally. Um, his father, who was a paragon of the community, um, is about to be tried for murder uh, and doesn't want any help from his son. And so he turns to uh, a young author, a uh, young black author, Serenity Butler, um, who's come to Natchez to write about his father's case. And together, uh, Penn and Serenity um, get involved in cracking the mysteries of a KKK uh, offshoot called the Double Eagles. And then that gets into Cage family history and a whole lot more. But um, I think this trilogy um, that Isles has written um, is simply amazing in scale and scope. Uh, The two earlier books in the trilogy, Natchez Burning and the Bone Tree, and then this final one, Mississippi Blood, um, they deal with suspense, family history, issues of social justice and racism, um, and, you know, as I was putting this together for the, the podcast, I thought uh, it was interesting um, that unbeknownst to me until I started, uh, you know, thinking about this, that these are a lot of the same themes that were um, prevalent in the first book that I talked about uh, today um, by Alan Eskin. So um, I must have um, a sort of a predilection for uh, or interest in, in these types of themes. But uh, I highly recommend Mississippi Blood. Um, uh, and, um, you know, I think it's really uh, could be called uh, a masterpiece. Do you have to read the first two in the trilogy to would you I recommend would. that? Yes, because mm-hmm. it, it really is um, – all of a whole, I suppose you could pick it up and read it separately. Um, but um, to really get some of the the complex background, um, it would be best uh, to read all three of them. And they're not like tiny books either. Um, but no, well I know. Worth... <laughs> well worth know. the time. Yeah. Well, we shouldn't be discouraged by long books. You know, sometimes no. those with the the detail and you know also are the ones that are deep. You know, philosophically. Um, so, in closing, I hope that some of you listeners and readers that we have uh, touched on a few books that you haven't read yet, and we encourage you to try these new authors. Um, yes, we love it when the latest from our favorite authors hit the bookshelves. I know I'm that way with uh, Louise Penny and Jacqueline Winsphere. Um, but you might find the new authors, you try them, that you'll like them. And, and sometimes I find that's the case, too, if somebody recommends a book, because I work at the bookery every Thursday, which is 
the used bookstore in the Bossler Library in Carlisle, Pennsylvania, where I live. And so I thought, well, I'll try it. That sounds intriguing. And then I find out that I really like it. That's especially the case with what Crawdag is saying. Um, well, it looks like we're running low on time. And we'd love to hear from our listeners about some of your favorite books for 2019. So contact us on Facebook or Twitter. And uh, a reminder to all of you listeners and readers, our books are available at Sunbury Press's online bookstore, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and other online retailers and bookstores. And a special thanks to all of you for listening to the Milford House Mysteries. We're glad you turned in and glad you listened, and we can hope, hope that you recommend our blog to others because we would like to broaden our scope. We hope you enjoyed our program. Our next program will be on February 6th at 2.30 p.m. where we'll interview a guest author. In the meantime, you can follow us on social media. Um, You know, one of the things I think I forgot to mention I'd like to is that my four-book series is on special right now uh, for the month of January at sunburypress.com, the Sunbury Press bookstore. You can save $30 if you buy all four. So check that out. And if you need more information about that, you can find it uh, at my website, which is www.sherrynolton.com. Plus, you can always find me on Facebook and Twitter. And you can look that up at sunburypress.com, too. Thank you. Yes. And I'm, also, I'm also on facebook.com slash Carlisle Crime Cases by J.M. West. And my website is www. CarlisleCrimeCases.com, all run together, all lowercase. So until next time. See you then.